Hey, you are listening to Hashtag BTS Podcast. This episode is with social strategist Corey Kinberg. Corey and I have known each other for a while. He was at Edelman and worked on Axe, Dove, eBay, and V8. And in recent months, he has transitioned to a role as a senior strategist at RGA. Corey and I talk about social media strategy and strategy in general, the internet, internet culture, how internet culture and regular culture are all the same things and they are driving each other at all times. You may have heard me reference Corey before. He is the lovely individual that talked about social strategy and pointed out that we are paid for our EQ, meaning emotional intelligence, meaning that we are not just paid to click buttons and retweets and track things, but also for our pulse on culture, our understanding of internet culture, and being very aware of how everything we do impacts everything else. I really appreciate Corey's time. You can find him at, at Corey Kinberg, spelled Kindberg across social media. He is the brilliant mind behind the viral Axe tweets and the surrounding pride this past year in 2019. If you don't know what viral Axe body spray BuzzFeed tweets I'm talking about in regard to pride, let me read a few to you because they are oh so good so basically if you don't remember if you weren't paying attention um i don't know how you could not know but in 2019 there was talk of a street pride parade i think it actually even happened and somebody jokingly said this guy tony posnanski um i think joking yeah definitely jokingly i think um said floats for the straight pride parade giant axe body spray bag of doritos big mountain dew um and then just he listed off a bunch of other things. Yeah, these are definitely a joke for sure. I don't know what I was thinking. Anyways, um, Corey brilliantly responded from the axe handle will be at the parade that matters and this one isn't it. Genius. The other one was Jill. So when tweeting um, from axe, oh yeah. So that was what prompted Jill then to respond to uh, axe as well as Tony. Um, good to know you don't support straight people. How very uninclusive and intolerant of you. My straight son and straight partner have decided to no longer use your products since you don't support them. I'm glad because I think Axe smells like garbage. Stay out of politics. To which Axe responded brilliantly, i.e. Corey responded brilliantly, gay rights are human rights, but go off Jill. Incredible. I love it and I appreciate his time. It, we recorded on a Wednesday night after work and I know he had to do work again afterwards. So um, thank you, Corey, I appreciate you. If you're still listening to this long intro, which I hope you are, please, please, please support this podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, review, share it with people that it's relevant to, encourage them to do so. And you can use some of the services that I love and plug regularly. I am a huge fan of Soothe for in-home massages. It helps me relax. Um, getting a massage, similar to taking a shower, are where you can come up with some of your best ideas. You can use code LZLRZ to save on your first Soothe massage. They will come into your home. You can do a couple's massage. You can each choose what type of massage you want. I think they have like, uh, I always do the sport massage, but I know that they also have deep tissue, Swedish, and prenatal. I'm also a huge fan of Hotel Tonight. You can use LCOOK61 to save on your first Hotel Tonight booking. Hotel Tonight is really, really great for excellent hotels at incredible prices. Their point system is awesome. I save a significant amount of money when I book hotels thanks to Hotel Tonight, and I think I'm now at like level four of their point system, 
which means I save even more. I've stayed at hotels through Hotels Tonight around the world. They include gorgeous hotels like Kimpton Hotels, as well as some of just the more everyday hotels like the Hyatt. Check them out. So you do just sign up, enter the promo code, and then someday when you're ready to make a booking, you'll get that discount. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, you are listening to Hashtag BTS Podcast, and I'm very excited to continue the strategy series with Corey Kinberg. Hi, Corey. Hi. Uh, Corey is wonderful. I, I think you. we met, oh, of course. <laughs> I don't usually ask people I don't like to be on the podcast. <laughs> I feel like that'd be an interesting podcast. Like, here's all my enemies. I, I should. I should do, it's, it takes a lot for me to not like someone. So typically, once I don't like someone, it means that they're probably like a horrible, horrible right. person, which would also be interesting. Like, so what inspires you? Like, what horrible things do you wake up wanting to do to the people around you? I feel day? like if I did a podcast that was all the horrible people I hate, it would be account people and media planners. Oh my gosh, cats out of the bag. Yeah. <laughs> like, media people are like, I was just tweeting about this. Media people are like, great, your audience is old people, so what about a Snapchat lens? And everyone's oh, like... Oh, oh, those media people. Yeah. I thought you meant, like, media buyers, and I was like, oh, Corey, but they're not so bad as long as you get good ones who aren't <laughs> just optimizing for impressions. Um, but, yeah, that that is a category of sales that I do not enjoy. Truly. Um, so, Corey is a senior strategist at RGA, and you've been there for about three months. Is that correct? No, only, like... 35 days. Wait, stop. Really? Yeah. LinkedIn is a liar. I'm LinkedIn pretty sure does I did the math. Where um, if you add your LinkedIn um, thing to like the very last day of the month, it counts that as a month. Mm-hmm. And then the next month, and then the next month. Which I enjoy as someone who uh, has historically not stayed places as for a super long time, where I'm like, yeah, go ahead, make it look like a year, that's fine. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, it's only been about a month. Okay, awesome. And then prior to that, which is when we met, you were at Edelman, and you worked on Axe, Dove, eBay, uh, Campbell's by way of V8, yep. if that's correct. That is. And um, one of Corey's many like internet claims to fame is being responsible for the amazing work that Axe has done um, in the category of, like, fighting toxic masculinity. Right. And then specifically, um, a few tweets that went viral in, like, during Pride and, like, against the straight Pride Parade, which were amazing. Thank you. Yeah. um, The go-off Joe was very fun. Yeah. Very fun. Um, So the tweets were really interesting, and I think something that's often overlooked about Axe as a brand is that they've actually prior to even me coming on and, like, even sending those tweets, was, like, they've actually done a lot of work in that space. Yeah. And that, like, there's a huge problem around, like, how the mass audience looks at the brand is still, like, a huge champion for toxic masculinity. And Mm -hmm. I think there's something interesting around um, how, yes, that is a brand that had built up toxic masculinity, but, like, I don't know if you've seen the Is It Okay for Guys spot. No, I haven't. Um, which is really interesting, and it basically, like, uh, found all the questions that men Google that's like, is it okay for guys to wear pink? Aww, is it okay for guys to do poor stuff? babies. Right, like, men are just totally lost. Um, and they also did the Find Your Magic, which, like, had the one boy voguing and, like, mm-hmm. the boy with the beard and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. So that was really, they've that's done a lot beautiful. of good work, but people just, like, overlook it. Yeah, and I mean, 
their other work that was um, definitely like you were saying championing championing um, toxic masculinity was on TV at a time where we were all watching TV and where TV right. spots were huge. Right. And so now when you're competing with so much attention across so many screens, right, like getting one cohesive message as a brand across to anybody, like really the only brand I've seen it do it in recent years is Uber. Totally. Right? But that's only because we say we're Ubering somewhere. Right. It's not really like they've done a good job. It's just they've become a verb, whether right. that's, you know what I mean? Like I just Absolutely. haven't, because in pitches a lot of times, and I'm sure this happens to you too, people will talk about these ads that like, and I put in quotes, like went viral. And I'm like, yeah, I've never heard of that. Uh, that will happen quite often. And I do this thing. I'm very much in the camp of just being like, uh-huh, yeah, familiar, and then Googling it five Same. minutes later. Same. So, like, I think there's nothing wrong with admitting, like, we really need clarity about yes. something, but if you're just referencing something I can Google, Agreed. I don't need to hear you go on a diatribe about how, how I haven't watched this And spot. it sort of ruins the mood of a conversation. Absolutely. Like, I do that even not in work settings, where, like, when somebody goes, oh, yeah, and, like, if they crack a joke, and I know it's a joke, like, I have enough uh, intelligence to like put together context clues that like I don't need to know what the word means or like what the re- reference is right and so I can laugh and like understand that it's funny without knowing the reference and yep. that's and I just I also just hate it's nothing is worse to me than a conversation where someone's excited and they're like well you saw this right and somebody's like no <laughs> just like, it's like a Tom and Jerry like yeah. dive bomb sort of moment Absolutely. and I'm like let me just let's all just like uh, go with your excitement, mm-hmm. and I can figure it out on my end. Like, I Absolutely. don't need to rain on your parade Yeah, yeah, this. yeah. Um, I'll be excited if you're excited. Totally. And then I'll be even more excited when I figured out yeah. what you're talking about 20 minutes later. Yeah, agreed. Um, so, and I don't know if you know this, but I have quoted you so many times on this podcast. Have you? And in meetings, because you said something that I loved so much, which I think will probably expand a lot in this conversation on where you were talking about what we do in social media, and you were talking about how we are paid and hired for our emotional intelligence. Yes. And I, you were like, for our EQ, which I love so much, and I've used it as like a soundbite, and I always say it's from you. I'll always be uh. like, well, Corey, who's incredible. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Likewise. And so um, can you talk a little bit about that and just sort of how you've, um, how you've approached with your own career advocating for being seen as like, more than just somebody who tweets and does responses and like helping your, like the people around you understand the value that you're bringing. Right. So I think, um, and I'll focus more on like the traditional agency structure. Like I think there's something um, that makes you really kind of dangerous as a really strong community manager and a community manager is, I'm sure everyone who listens to this podcast knows, um, but like, you know, the person who responds and sends the tweets. But I think a really good community manager is someone who is like really like balls deep in culture Mm -hmm. and like understands like what's happening on black Twitter, what's happening on gay Twitter. Like what is all the things that are happening and like how people are going to react to what we're saying. Mm -hmm. Right. So we think like that is like, 50% of the job and the other like 25% of the job is like being a creative. Yeah. And like a lot of times people will like be community managers and then want to be copywriters because they're like, I'm funny on Twitter. And I think you have to be really funny and like have a strong personality to like be funny in 240 characters. Like even if you're not being funny, you need to be able to be very clear in what you're saying Mm -hmm. and understand someone else's tone and like understand how your tone's going to be taken. 
Um, and I think that, you know, we've seen some really great examples from the work that you've done. I don't know if anyone saw, and I'm pretty sure you probably saw it, that like United tweet that went out recently. Is Did this the one about like the you economy do, the, and the and the Lexus? Yes. Oh my god! I thought it was hysterical. It was amazing. It's so funny, but it's not the right moment. Right, not necessarily the right moment. Also incredible. I was like, well, no, but like, like the United argument is wildly fair. It's like yeah. you can't just take this thing that other people had paid for. Right. Um, and like this is happening to me on Delta flights. Like if I'm flying the economy and then I see a Delta Comfort Plus seat open and I'm like, can I move? And they're like, no, those are Delta Comfort Plus. And I'm like, okay. Right. Like that's yeah. not a big deal. Um, I understand that like someone had paid an extra $100 to sit in that seat. Right. Or would pay, right? right. And like, and you also <laughs> don't want to... Because I think when you get those seats, you also get, like, free food and stuff. Yeah. And so then that puts the burden on everyone who is attending that flight, like, all the stewards on the flight, mm-hmm. to then communicate, like, oh, Corey over there in, like, the, this Delta Plus seat gets no special treatment, right. just extra room. Like, yes. now everyone has to cater to you. Yeah. And, like, these people are just trying to do their jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, I have the utmost respect for flight attendants. Because I can't even, like, the things that they have to deal with, it's the community managers on the ground who also, like, can't, like, smash their, like, screens when they want to. Right. I can't just lot, like, flight attendants can't go on Slack and be like, can you fucking believe this dude? Right. Exactly. (laughs) You can't, you can't do that, which is unfortunate. Um, Um, But yeah, and I think the other thing that's interesting about, like, a really strong community manager is that you have, like, an idea of how to crisis manage. Yeah. Which Absolutely. is a skill that's often overlooked um, within, like, the hierarchy of agency structure. And I yeah. think, like, people who understand that, like, help empower their teams and help empower the people who are community managers. And do better work for their clients. Absolutely. Because if you can work with your client to go, like, hey, like, maybe we didn't plan for this sort of excel- escalation. Right. But we've noticed X, Y, and Z. And, like, perhaps this is a problem with your product or this is a problem with whatever. Right. Like, whatever that is across whatever category you're in, certainly, I mean, and if nothing else, I would venture to say that using language, agencies right now can use language um, around customer experience because that's such a, like, buzzword right now Mm -hmm. that even if a client is like, oh, we don't really communicate with our product team, you can throw some customer experience stats at them and go, like, Mm. well, you should. should. Right. Like, that's something that we're happy to pay more. Like, you can pay us more as an agency to help you do. Right. Is to, like, put together this information for your product team because they should know. Absolutely. Um, And I think now we're at this kind of point where, like, every brand wants to go viral on the internet and they want to be Wendy's and, like, shout out to Amy Brown, like, queen of Twitter, would kill for you, Amy. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And, like, that whole team, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, that is something that, like, has naturally progressed over time. Yeah. But, like, that success does not happen without people who are deeply rooted in Twitter culture. Yeah. And internet culture. Absolutely. Um, and understand meme formats and what's trending. And, like, people are, like, kind of look down at that as a skill. But, like, the same way that, like, a surgeon... I mean, maybe this is, like, kind of a stretch. Oh, that's fine. But, like... Flexible. This, right. The same way that a surgeon, like, needs to understand all of these things. Like, mm-hmm. I obviously am not saving lives, but, like, I also need to understand, like, what is right, what is wrong, how are people going to take this delivery? Like, right. where do I push back and where do I, like, kind of, like, give a little slack? Yeah. Um, and I think there's something really kind of important about people who do that and, like... Also, being on the front lines of the internet all day is truly the one of the most emotional, emotionally draining jobs. Absolutely. 
How do you manage your own wellness around that? Because it is really exhausting. Um, luckily, I have really, like, rolled off, like, a lot of daily community management stuff. Yeah. Like, I don't really touch it anymore. Um, but I, I do tweet a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, it's, like, I've always been in the camp that, like, while Twitter has allowed me to connect with some really amazing, beautiful people um, and meet people that I've never met before and, like, find common ground and whatever, like, I also am, like, this is Twitter. Right. So while people can complain at me and do things like that, I'm just like, this is a job. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to go and like treat myself to dinner. Mm -hmm. Um, But granted, I've never done social for like, you know, the ACLU. Right. Or something that is truly triggering like that. Yeah. Um, Which I'm sure is like way... Brutal. Yeah. That was me for once (laughs) messing up with my phone. Um, Which I'm sure is like truly, truly brutal. Yeah, that is, yeah, absolutely. And um, so you were across several brands um, at Edelman, um, and now you're across two pretty big brands. How do you, because I I think it's helpful for people to hear the different ways that people manage their time and Mm -hmm. sort of like task manage and like triage their day. Right. Um, Do you have a process, like what are some of your go-to apps and like ways that you've task managed? Um, So I think... The beautiful thing about working at an agency is having project managers. Yes, agreed. Um, like they're heroes. Yeah, like the they're heroes. truly like there is nothing better than a good project manager. Agreed. Um, to just like help set clear deliverables and timelines and take notes and like help mm-hmm. keep everyone on track. And um, to even check in with like I don't know if you do this, right. do this, but like I found it just because I have a tendency to prioritize what I feel is most important. Uh, which is oftentimes not what account people feel is most important. And um, imagine that. What a concept. (laughs) And and so I found it just very helpful for uh, the sanity of myself and other people that I worked with when I was at an agency to just at the start of every day go like, here's like the order of operations I had planned today. Am I missing anything? Like do one of these things need to come before the other? Do you do that with your project managers? Um, Not really. I think in the sense that, like, a lot of the projects I work on are more Mm, mm long-term. And not in the sense that, like, it's going to take, like, six months to do it. But, like, everything, I'm not delivering something every day. Like, I sit down and, like, think about things that, like, for a week and then deliver something. Um, But I do often will be like, hey, just, like, checking in to make sure, like, this is correct. Um, I also have worked with, recently not always recently like my last two managers have been stellar oh amazing in the sense of like hey this is what I think we should focus on and this is what we should do but I also Mm -hmm. like they give me the autonomy to run it things the way I want to run it yeah um but I think something that's often overlooked is just like blocking out time on your own calendar agreed um like so huge right like I just discovered there's this thing in Outlook called Mm -hmm. Insights Oh. Um, I don't know if it's, like, exclusive to RGA. I don't know. To RGA, I doubt it. But, like, it will tell me when there is, like, a bunch of free time on my calendar. And it will be like, do you want to block off these two and a half hours for focus time? What a hero. 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 Oh, my gosh. Um, so Shout I, out to Microsoft. Yeah. So now I have, like, two and a half hour blocks on my calendar to just, like, focus on work. Yeah. Because I think something about an agency and just, like, work world in general Um, But this is super, you know, this happens a lot in, like, advertising is that you spend so much time in meetings. Yes. That, like, it hits 5 p.m. And you're like, well, now I've got to work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Because I just spent all day, like, talking about doing work but not doing work. Right. Yeah. And I found it 
I used to be a very like meeting and then schedule something else or whatever. And now even with my own time, like I'm not even at an organization, but now when I have a meeting for a client, I block off for my own self so that I don't go like, yeah, sure. And then I'll go do this right after I block off like half an hour to an hour afterwards to like kind of take notes, gather my thoughts and whatever, because you know, what we do, like we were talking um, before we started recording, like what we do does require a lot of like deep thinking Mm -hmm. and like deep work. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, we were talking about how a lot of what you do is like coming up with insights on culture. right? Right. And that's so difficult. And this is something that I think about a lot. And I like, I'm sure I'd probably talk about it a lot too. Who knows? Um, is that our jobs as sort of like cultural strategists is really what we are. And then because the internet is a huge part of culture. 100%. It's like internet driving. Is culture. Yeah, totally. It's driving so much culture right. um, at a wild scale. That's almost like Moore's law. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, it moves so quickly now. Absolutely. That like language develops to describe what's already happening. Yeah. So when the world is happening faster, Like, and then we need to be able to align on what that is. And like, I think about even in the last five years, the fact that we can sit here and talk about toxic masculinity and like, we both know what that means. Like, I don't have to go like, oh, wait, I'm not following. Right. Right. Because we've all seen it on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's just so many other terms that come up that then when you're doing things and trying to be at the forefront of that language development, Mm -hmm. that's so hard. Yeah. I think there's something um, really just like being a strategist um and like i think there's as you know there's multiple different ways to do strategy there's right. social strategy and comms planning and right. traditional Business strategy right yeah. and then like traditional brand planning and like being at the you know center of culture and like trying to figure out what's there and like what the tension is mm-hmm. is is so incredibly exhausting in the sense that like you could really fall down a rabbit hole of something that is so dark and twisty. Oh yeah. That you're like, how did I get here? Yeah. And like, how am I gonna get out? And I just and also isn't even relevant to what I'm working on. Absolutely. <laughs> like I remember I was working on like a gaming thing. Mm, <clears throat> which is a dark, twisty road, my right. friend. <laughs> and like we were just trying to figure out, you know, like how gamers are like really communicating right um and then like you fall down a gamer gate hole and then you come out and you're like right i'm exhausted i can't do that again yeah you start getting all these like discord you get on discord and you're in all these and then you're like oh and then i should also be on reddit and like you're digging in deeper and deeper and it is really especially when you're examining an audience who's so um internet native Mm -hmm. in that very specific way where that is where they live and breathe because that is literally the segment that you're examining is people who are gaming which is on the internet right um and traditionally also so toxic because it can be so anonymous and like in a lot of ways just like overtly male dominated and like a lot of men who are at home alone angry (laughs) yes (laughs) which is like a, a stereotype that also needs to it it exists for a reason, but also it's not good to exist for a reason because right. gaming is so much broader than that. 100%. When it's like, no, there's tons of people of color who game and tons of women who game right. just like they're not showing up in the same ways. Oh, 100%. And I think, um, like I was having this 
I had tweeted this thing. No, someone else had tweeted this thing about like how Twitter makes them a more dangerous strategist. Yes, I um, saw that. Right, and was I, it Jack? Yes, it was. Oh, which did you know that like, he and I went to college together? Like I've so known. Funny. Not we didn't go to college. He played on the same basketball team as my boyfriend in college, and I've known him for years. Small world. He's wonderful. Small world. Yeah, and that that is something that I wildly agree with. Totally. Um, and there was maybe like two men. Like, straight men, because straight men have everything to say about the um, world. Just, at, yeah, about anything. Yeah. Anytime. Yeah, all the time. And um, they were like, Twitter doesn't make you a more dangerous strategist. And I was like, if you use Twitter effectively and correctly, you will be able to know right. what's happening in culture at any given moment. Absolutely. And the reason a lot of people don't realize that is because they're not looking at things like Black Twitter, yeah. which when we look at like where words come from, yes. especially popular slang and like, absolutely, that's where it originates. Yeah. Like, like I think that I saw the phrase emotional labor used on black Twitter ages before it was in like, just yeah. like the white discourse. Right. Like that was used. And that's, it's also fascinating to me the ways that people don't follow like a breadth of people on right. Twitter. I'm like, 100%. what are you, like, when I look and see, because I'm a weirdo, sometimes I'll just be like, oh, this person seems really normal. I wonder what normal people follow. They just seem really yeah. average, right? Like, they go to like ASU, they're in a frat or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. like, oh, what do, what do ASU frat people follow? Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, oh my god, just barstool sports. Yeah. Like, that's it. the Rams, like something, like all And like weird, ASU. Right, exactly. And it's just baffling to me because yeah. I don't understand and this is something that I don't know if it's like a nature versus nurture thing but I don't understand like the lack of interest in knowing more uh, yeah I, there's something interesting about it and I think a lot of people are fine not knowing a different point of view mm -hmm. which is whatever like that's fine yeah um, I mean there, there are definitely points of view that I don't care to subscribe right. to right Absolutely. and I think this is like um a lot of brands or we find that a lot of people are like, you really need to go across the aisle. And it's like, I think there is benefit in understanding maybe someone who is like, oh, not as liberal as me, uh -huh. but I don't need to connect with someone who's in the KKK. Right. You know, That's like, an the, aisle that should not be Right. Crossed. Like, I don't, those right. things I don't need to know about. And yeah. I don't care to know about, like, that's not healthy conversation. Yeah. Um. But there are people who, like, have a little bit different ideas than me. And I'm like, yeah, that's interesting. Like, I'm, tell me about it. Right. Um, even someone who was just, like, the most basic Republican who mm -hmm. was, like, just believes in a certain set of Republican ideals. I'm like, let me understand a little bit. Right. But, like, if you start spouting off racist, homophobic yeah, like things. Like speech. Right. Then I, I don't, yeah, I don't care. Yeah. But there are some people who are really just fine, like, knowing about, like, Barstool Sports and what their college is tweeting and, like, nothing else. And I'm like... Okay. I mean, yeah, in a way, I almost respect it, where I'm like, oh, I guess, no wonder why you don't feel like you need a therapist, because you just don't. Right. There's nothing going on. <laughs> You're in this, like, bubble of just yeah. normalcy, which um, I think I would go crazy. Yeah. I think, like, they talk <laughs> about, like, the coastal elite bubble, which I think is a thing that's true. Right. But I also believe that people on the coast, especially ones like us, who are mm -hmm. tapped into the internet are very open to understanding what other things Absolutely. people are talking about and tweeting about and things yeah. like that. And the best way to do that is by following people or yeah. just like looking at people's Twitter. Totally. Especially like the, the tweets and replies. Oh yeah. Wild. Yeah. And I really, um, I don't like the idea of being digitally catfished. So like if somebody 
Like if I meet somebody and then okay. I find them on Twitter, okay. I do look at their tweets and replies. And as I'm oh, yeah. a weirdo also, like if I faves. ever have gone on dates. Yeah, faves is fascinating. I always look at people's really faves. Interesting. Um, but if I'm going to go on a date with somebody, especially if I know that they're like active on social media, mm-hmm. I'll look up their handle on Twitter to see what people have been saying about them. Ooh. So that I can go, and like even with influencers, like when I've done influencer research, like I don't necessarily only care what they're saying. I want to know what other people are saying about them. Yeah. And like see, you know, what's the most recent, what's like the top, and like get that sort of knowledge because I want to know. Like if somebody is in, if somebody's, especially in gaming, right? Mm -hmm. They seem fine on their social, but then you dig in and all kinds of people are being like, so-and-so did this like messed up thing to me on whatever that I'm like, okay, I'm out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Well, I think there's there's something super interesting about how we vet influencers in general. And it's like, we're looking for what they're saying, but like we really need to look at what people are saying about them at the same time. Yeah, and and I think, well, actually, let's talk about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. So you've worked on a variety of influencer campaigns. Yes, influencer is not like my specialty at all. I candidly cannot stand influencer marketing. Really? Um, Wait, can we talk about that? Why don't you like it? I fully believe it is a great value proposition and yeah. I understand why people do it. Yeah. But I also believe that like when we look at a lot of influencer marketing campaigns, it is the same pretty white girl yeah. that we've Agreed. seen and they all look the same and they're using the same formula. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a very serious white space opportunity to mm-hmm. like understand like who are the people who are actually driving culture Yes. and who were the people who are actually they're having influence yeah versus the girl with the new dior saddle bag great bag by the way but like and just like posting a photo of it you know that's with not zero to me like the, yeah. there's so many problems with that because it's like there's a from like the perspective of the idea of being the strategist that like recommended that partnership right i'm like okay well what data do we have about um like her followers actually converting right um, because how many other like brands does she post about, right? Like what value is she really adding? Like to mm-hmm. me, if you're specific, like to that bag, right? Like I think about Dior and I'm like, okay, then why would you not find someone who's specialized, who wants to like go to where the bag is made right. and see how, and like tell that story, like right. the sort of a micro influencer and then use that perhaps like to, or go on like an influencer tour of the factory and go like, this is fascinating. Right. And it's like, whether it's ethical or like something right. interesting in the way that the leather is used or whatever. Right. But to just have somebody who just always has a bag and now they're using this bag. Yeah. It really is at that point, no different than like just paying to be on a top show with a mediocre ad, like Absolutely. in that TV space. And yeah. I think in addition to that, I also get really aggravated with influencer managers because, like, the lack of access and conversation where it's, like, no, if we're going to partner, like, at least for me, if I'm working with a brand, if I'm going to partner with an influencer, I want to know what that influencer thinks. Like, what they actually think yeah. and, like, what they want to do and, like, what value we can add to their channel and their audience because yeah. it needs to make sense for them, too. Totally. I think that's how you get to, like, the really genuine content that's, like, right. an actually really great partnership yeah. in the sense that it's, like all these people who are, like, creating content that they know their audience cares about, they're passionate about. I mean, it's like when you do work in general. Like, yes, we have all worked on clients that we, like, do not, we don't care about at all. Right. Right? Like, I think that has always happened. And I think there is something about, like, 
what that work looks like mm-hmm. and then like what the work looks like when we really are passionate about something totally um yeah. and a lot of the times it's just like okay here's the brief please deliver something on brief yeah versus being like what do you want to do yeah like how do you want to craft this campaign exactly. like what does that look like for and you? what even makes the most sense like instead of right. going and telling somebody that like oh instagram is our most valuable channel well if that person has like you know if they have like a pop in facebook group you should be doing that. Right. Like, it's not, it does not benefit your brand at all to dictate what is the most valuable because if that person's channel is not the most valuable right. there, absolutely not useful. I would much rather an influencer with like a super engaged Facebook group. Yes. Post about my brand in there versus like posting a cute photo on Instagram that Agreed. no one cares about. And yeah. everyone is just scrolling by anyway these days. We're all scrolling and tapping and it's really like who's reading captions, like who's right. digging into that. It really, I mean, literally the only piece of Instagram content that I can even remember was that like really lovely couple that I think, um, like ID or somebody posted about, I think on Valentine's Day, hmm. that it was like, um, it was a queer couple and they were just adorable and like they were talking about getting proposed and like their love. Interesting. And like, that's literally the only piece of content that was like from a media company or a brand or anything huh. that I've remembered. Um, the only thing I've been reading on Instagram these days are Caroline Calloway, Instagram oh posts. I know. And we are like, so Corey and I are connected on Facebook in a variety of ways. And I shared the Caroline Calloway thing. And like, sometimes I wake up from naps and I share things without the right context. And I don't even want to look and see what the right. comments are like. Like, I don't even want to know what the people in that group who I, like, know pretty well, like, internalized right. about me as a person. Because really, my thoughts on it were, like, when I, I don't know. If, did you read her piece that she, like, wrote? And I put that in quotes. That um, Natalie wrote or that Caroline wrote? I think it said it was from Caroline. But I don't know if she, because I, I haven't dug into the most recent news. But she basically wrote a thing being, like, I was called out for X, Y, Z. Here's what really happened. I don't think... Maybe. I think I know what you're talking about. Okay. So when I read that, I was like... I could honestly give a shit about what actually happened in that situation. Mm -hmm. I was more coming from the perspective of like, oh, it's really important that we don't just take what we see on the internet and believe that and run with that. Yeah. And then also like do this like very extreme cancel culture to like a person who's like... Yeah, like, maybe didn't make some great choices, but, like, they're not out there being malicious. Right. Well, I think there's also something really interesting about, like, the scams that Caroline has ran. Which, tell me more, because I only know of the one, like, thing. Right. That then, like, it sounded like in her thing that she was saying, like, hey, I tried, and, like, maybe I didn't do an amazing job, but, like, here's what happened. So I don't know about any of her other, like, scams or anything. So, um... I'm not like a, there's someone I follow on Twitter, um, Sassy Black Diva, Alexis Wilson is like a historian on Caroline Calloway. What a hero. Yeah, like truly, like she is really doing the Lord's work. (laughs) Um, And I think there's something really interesting about the way she chronologizes it. But Mm -hmm. like, um, Caroline has apparently like hosted these creativity workshops and stuff like that, that like either like were really just glorified meet and greets. And is now selling, like, Matisse cutouts on Instagram stories for, like, $140 a pop. I mean, girl's trying to make some money. Yeah. I love a hustle. I really do. Um, But there was something really interesting. I'm also, I'm an asshole, and I'm like, if these fools want to pay $140 for that, that's that's their choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think there was something really interesting about the discourse um, that happened. Did you read the cut article at all? 
I don't think so. Okay. I've seen it pop up in my feed because right. it was it came up in the last like 48, 72 hours. Is that correct? It came out last night. Okay. Um, and there was um, people are like, oh, you know, we really should be more forgiving with Caroline because she is an addict. And I had tweeted about this today, and I think I saw that. um. I don't, we could cut this out if we don't want to talk about it, but um, I think there's something really interesting about how we're awarding a lot of slack and leeway to someone, a rich white woman who is addicted to Adderall, that we're not awarding the same kind of slack to addicts who are black and, you know, people of color and all of these other things that we kind of look down on as a society and like, yeah homeless people who aren't even addicts half the time or just like fallen down but like all these like right. other addicts that like are more addicted to like heroin and crack and stuff right. like that and like we look at the Adderall addiction as like oh we should forgive this person for the mistakes they made. Well and that's that is what has happened right with like the opioid crisis right and with Adderall and all of this where it's like now that it's white people being and now we're calling it like addiction and addicts and it's a disease right. versus like cri- talking about it in a way that's so criminal. Right. Um, and I think what's interesting too, and to your point, cause I hadn't really thought about, because I saw your tweet seeing that and I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. And then I sort of just struggled to think of like other people on the, and I kind of just, I struggled to think of other people on the internet that people are really calling out. Right. Because I think of a lot of people, the internet is a lot of times where as, um, especially if you're a celebrity, if you're open about your addiction, you can find some forgiveness. Right. Right. However, to your point with what you were just saying, because I had not carried that over to real life, which is, like, fascinating as, like, a culture that we're now, like, forgetting that these are also, like, separating the two. Right. And going, like, oh, yeah, that is really interesting that, like, the same person who's going to go, like, oh, but Caroline, poor baby. Right. Is going to see, like, a homeless person or, like, somebody on the street or whatever and really treat them really terribly. Yes. Right? And that yes. that can exist within the same person. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, like, there is something about, like, the sympathy reward for an upper-class addiction to Adderall that we do not reward to people who are addicted to heroin or opioids or things like that. Yeah. Um, And I know that's super heavy for... (laughs) But that's real. I mean, if it's any consolation, I've had a funeral home director on this podcast. This is not the first heavy thing that these these listeners have heard. Right, but I think, yeah, I mean, and you know me, like, addiction and sobriety is, like, a huge part of who I am as, like, a person and a brand, Mm -hmm. and I think um, a personal brand, not a brand as a whole, but, like, um, (laughs) um, that, like, we should be more open about because addiction is addiction, and I think... um, you know, also, like, that is a huge part of culture right now. Right. Like, when we look at the opioid crisis and we look at a lot of things people are struggling with, like, yeah. addiction yeah. is a huge part of it. Which, have you watched Generation Wealth? No. I really, really recommend it. Okay. And one thing that was fascinating that was said, and it's not addiction specific, but it definitely carries over to addiction, is that um, they were talking about um, eating disorders. And they were talking about how... Interesting. Right, and the psychologist was like, a wave of eating disorders doesn't, it tells us more about where society is at than it does about an individual. Okay. Because it is something, right, that like when, like eating disorders don't happen in developing countries, right? Like it's not the same as when you're in a country where there's excess and like that we have sort of 
the headspace and it's like a priority to then care about how you look and that that's a value right in a very specific way rather than just like are you healthy and like right like i think about developing countries and it's like oh as long as you're like acceptable right that's fine right okay. like and yeah, then yeah versus in the u.s and like where we're so tied to entertainment right and like all these things and we have an excess like even though obviously there's a lot of people still without yeah as a culture we do have an excess if you look at our landfills everything else yeah yeah um and I thought that, like, when he said that about eating disorders, I was like, oh, and, and I, it makes me reflect also on, like, how anxiety is, like, more of a reflection of where we're at as a society and, like, um, and addiction, yeah. right? Like, where, because I would venture to say, like, when I think about um, people like our grandparents' age or great-grandparents' age, I don't, it's like, okay, maybe it just wasn't documented. Or right. Maybe it wasn't happening as much. Well, I think they're... Um, a lot of the things that happen are like a reflection of culture. Like I, to bring it back to like the acts toxic masculinity things, right. like those spots that happen in TV and advertising mm-hmm. was a direct reflection of what's happening in culture. Right. And that is true for advertising spots on TV forever. Any advertising spot that hits us is right. because it's taking like it, the knowledge, like right. the very human knowledge, which is also really... Um, really hard to communicate as a strategist absolutely is like taking human knowledge without like a number from e-marketer absolutely and being like 60 <laughs> percent of people believe this where it's like we have to somehow communicate this weird nugget that like we know to be true mm-hmm. and is actually really like filled with tension and is kind of like scary and exciting and like how do we communicate that to creatives to get them to an idea yeah and and account managers right yeah. because it needs to be explained to accounts so that then it gets approved into clients right because that is a really tricky thing, and when your accounts people are not as like um, have don't have such a close pulse on culture, right? Um, which it is something that I wish more agency pushed for is for their accounts people. Yes. Or I mean, to be quite frank, to have accounts slash strategist and the project manager takes on the burden of a lot of like what an accounts person does. I think the the perfect account person in me is someone who understands what I'm saying, but not. And takes it as fact. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you come into the room and you play the client for me. Right. You tell me what you think the client is going to ask. You don't give me your opinion because that's not what you're here for. Right. Um, I don't need your personal opinion. I need to know what the client is going to say about it and how right. we can sell this in. Versus you being like, well, it doesn't do anything for me. And it's like, well, it's not for you. Yeah, totally. Like this, the a lot of the ads or stuff that we do like are not for the straight white account man. Well, and there, honestly, a lot of the stuff that we do isn't for somebody in like a corporate nine to five job. Absolutely. Who's like, because a lot of times people are putting on their like, I'm at work hat versus I'm a consumer hat. Right. And to me, I'm like, yeah, it's not like, take that off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like imagine being slightly buzzed on your couch. Right. <laughs> yeah. Three episodes deep into Law and Order SVU and scrolling through your Instagram feed. Right. Now tell me how you feel about it. I uh, Yeah, and I think that's true for, like, anyone who works in, like, kind of in our field or, like, what we do. It's, like, we consume culture and, and content and things like that in such a different way than, yes. like, everyone else. Absolutely. That our judgment is absolutely not fair, not at all in comparison to, like, 
what how someone who doesn't work in our field is going to receive something totally um, and we often get lost in that they're like oh I don't really get it and it's like but I'm not asking if you get it right I need to know if Larry on his couch in yeah. Jersey is gonna get it yeah and if and if he can also then like in Axe's case right like tell his mom right exactly like, and or like and with your current clients like I think that these larger clients are so fascinating to me like those are such sort of long decision whatever like in the sales funnel yeah right it's not like oh I can just pop out and spend seven to twelve dollars on this like hygiene product right um that is like oh I'm now shifting who I trust with my money oh now I have to like go down this very annoying thing to switch my phone provider <laughs> or whatever right um, and like, those are really interesting to me because your planning is so far out sort of in terms of like what you're looking for and like where you expect or anticipate to see results and how those are measured. Right. Like that in terms of like results, not social results, obviously, but like results for the client on their end, like, are we adding value? Like that is fascinating to me right. for larger, um, I think of them as almost like nebulous clients. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, in the same way that I think, cause I worked on an alcohol brand and I was like, oh, there's no way to measure this. Right. Right? Like, it's like, well, hopefully people are going to CVS and grabbing this instead. Or like... <laughs> well, I think there's something, like, for me, I've always kind of focused on, like, super upper funnel, like, objectives yeah. in terms of way perception. Absolutely. <laughs> like, don't give me sales goals because I won't meet right. them. Um, Which, but, those are interesting to me, though, in very specific spaces. Right. Um, but for me, like, telecom as a company, and this is true for all telecom, is wildly hated yeah like people hate cell phone providers no matter who their provider is right um and now with the rise of social media i can't believe i just said rise of social media but with social media old man Corey, literally like <laughs> hello um have you guys heard of facebook but like i think you know we are now able to actually measure things like sentiment mm -hmm. and really like for me i've just always wanted to be like how do i shift your perception of the thing that is you hate to right. make it positive yeah um and I try and do that across the board whether like that is you know a social campaign or like briefing in like a ad spot or just like sending a tweet like with acts like right we were able to really shift consumer perception about that brand in like two tweets and like people were like oh my god we love acts acts for the gays that's wonderful yeah um a brand that like people really believe that is still rooted in toxic masculinity yeah. and like and like just straight up douchebagging yeah right like those those ads from the early aughts were very like i like yes they were funny mm -hmm. but um a they would not fly today absolutely but i think that brings us back to the point about um ads are a direct reflection of where we're at in culture totally they would fly back then and they did and grant yes i think we could argue that like that is not correct or right or... right but it's a reality right you know like it's yeah it's not correct or right but when when has any culture been correct or right when it comes specifically to like business and advertise or anything right right like, find me a culture that doesn't have any sort of that Absolutely. and like and then also what else do you do with your day if you've arrived how boring right. <laughs> to say it but like yeah we can always do better right we should always look to do better right um what are so we have discussed like how difficult it can be to, to describe culture right mm -hmm. um what are some of your go-to and like favorite <clears throat> sources for being able to like just get a grasp on like some wording around that um I think for me it's just like honestly like an 
maybe this makes me a huge miss, but, like, I will just keyword search on Twitter. Nice. Um, Do you use lists? Like, the list feature? Um, I will subscribe to a few lists, but, like, mostly, like, I subscribe to our group list on Twitter mm-hmm. um, for the group that we're both in, um, which is great, and I think that provides, like, a lot of insight. Yeah. But I also, for me, I'm just, like, I follow kind of, like, a really, di- not super diverse mm-hmm. um, in terms of, like, political ideologies, but, like, in right. terms of people, um, pretty diverse, and I also just, like, like to consume what people are saying. Yeah. Um, and I also think Slack, like, organizations that effectively use Slack, mm. um, to share what's happening is incredibly beneficial. What is, like, a structure that you've found be really successful, like, in that Slack category? So, um, currently at RGA, like, there are, um many channels you can subscribe to Mm -hmm. that people will just drop in like this tweet is funny or like this ad spot is funny or like this article is funny or like cool or interesting or things like that and are they broken up sort of by like interest or client or like they're broken up by interest so which i think is super helpful like um there is like a really huge channel about culture Mm -hmm. and it's like people just throwing random stuff in that's really Awesome. awesome yeah um and super helpful and, yeah, I find it, like, the greatest thing. Whereas, like, when I was at, like, other agencies or, like, other jobs, like, I was kind of left to fend for myself. Really? To, like, not, like, for myself, but, like, we didn't have, like, teams of people, like, right. sharing interesting things. Well, and RGA is so known for that. Like, that's really where they've built their brand, even um, in terms of, I can't remember his name, but I listened to an interview with him, the guy that does their Twitter. Chapin. Yeah. Greatest man. And so. Love um, him. Even, like, you can tell that there's an agency um, there that, like, they really have people across the board. Like, nobody, at least from the outward perspective, it doesn't seem like the kind of place where people are like, oh, having a pulse on culture isn't my job. Right. And I think there's something, um, like, when I've worked with PR people, (laughs) PR is, like, if you can pitch people, that is a skill I don't have. Mm-hmm. But I think the way that we are shifting is, like, if you want to be relevant in culture, it is no longer about pitching reporters and editors, and I think that's helpful, but I think it's about what your brand does to take a stand. Like, yeah. purpose and brand work are really becoming one. Totally. Um, and they don't really understand that because they're so traditionally trained. Yeah. Whereas, like, the thing I love about RGA is that, like, I can have really incredibly deep conversations with people about stuff that, like, I never thought of and people push and pull on their work. Right. Um, and no one's like, mm, that's not for me. Yeah. Everyone's like, okay, how do you get it? But what if we did this or this or this or this? Right. Um, and everyone's also just like genuinely nice and smart. Like, I don't think I've really ever worked anywhere that was like, oh my God, there's so many smart people in this building. Which is so nice. Like, I love nothing more than going right. like, oh, I'm the dumbest one in the room. This is great. Absolutely. Like, like what a dream. Yep. Um, I worked in an old job where like, I was literally the only person who knew anything about social. And I was like, this is not healthy. Yeah, it's like, not. Because you have no advocates. You have yeah. no one to bounce ideas off of. Mm-hmm. You have nobody challenging you. Yeah. It's, I once had, like, a manager who was like, I need you to lead this because no one else in this building knows anything about social. And it was, like, a huge red flag in the sense of, like, yeah. what do you mean? How did you choose RGA? Um, so... I've always kind of had my eyes on RGA, and I, um, something that was really interesting is that um, I, we talked about this, I almost moved to LA. I know. Um, so, 
I'm happy for you that you did it. And like selfishly, like right. those seven to 12 days a month I'm in LA, I'm like, oh, it's too bad Corey's done. <laughs> um, to go work at Deutsch. Um, and prior to that, I had reached out to RGA being like, hey, I'm looking to make a move, like would love to chat. Um, and things just kind of happened very quickly in the sense that, like, we are excited about you, and I've always been excited about them, and mm-hmm. we think you would bring... And the... it was shortly after the axe, like, BuzzFeed thing, Right. Like, which I'm sure didn't hurt. I'm sure it was a great, like, let's go. Yeah. Um, and it just really worked out, and I think, you know, I now have, like, two managers that, like, are incredibly smart, and, like brilliant and make my work better and my old manager at Edelman was one of the smartest people I've ever met and I would kill for her Mm -hmm. um but also like working on a team of three at Edelman was like we never really had much time to interact yeah whereas like now that's tough yeah like the strategy team at RGA for like my group is like 40 people I think wow which is just like we all had time to collaborate yeah and and, work and like really that because the internet and the world are such big and small places at the same time, you have the ability to like get different perspectives and different sources and yes. stuff. And I think um, one thing, and I wish you knew Megan because she's amazing. Megan was on this podcast. Mm-hmm. She's the um, director of strategy for the US at Analog Folk. Hi, Megan. Yeah. Hi, Megan. You're amazing. Everybody loves you, <laughs> whether they know you or not. Um, she's based out of here. Fun. And like she... She said something that I love where she was like, look, this agency model where we work all day and then pitch afterwards, right? Like just isn't okay. And that's really when you're a, per- when you're a three person team on any brand, right? like I don't care how big or small it is, right? Like if you're just a three person team, you don't have time to do anything but sort of maintain because anything else outside of that, it is going to be like a 60, 70, 80 hour work week. Right. Because it does take literally like many brains and many active participants to lay out like a future strategy or do something right. interesting and different. Right. And I think um, so something that's really incredible about RGA um, and this just kind of happened is that I started a week after another senior strategist, um, Sam. Hi, Sam. Um, who is really wonderful and super smart. And he is more of a trained brand planner mm. and account planner. Mm-hmm. And I don't have that. I have like a social comms background. Right. Um, so we mesh really well together. And the traditional agency structure is that like strategists work in silo. Right. Um, and cre- Which is insane. And horrible. Um, creatives have this really amazing thing where they have a partner with a copywriter and art director mm-hmm. um, and they go on for years having this beautiful relationship, bouncing right. ideas off each other and falling in love. Yeah, fostering like career growth. Right. And yeah. like I now have someone that I can sit down with and like just bounce ideas with. Yeah. Um, and this partnership has kind of been like really wonderful because I think as strategists like we often we'll fall down a rabbit hole of talking ourselves into our insight or what our attention we think is. And no one's there to be like, that doesn't make sense. Right. Regularly, like, like, because right now I'm a human of one. Right. With, like, different, I work with a few different agencies and clients that, like, I've had to train myself. And this also comes from years of me totally missing the mark, like, at agencies. (laughs) Like, so... My apologies to a lot of you that I've worked with, where it's like I've come up with an idea and burned a bunch of hours and then been like, oh, that's not what the brief asked for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's 
like I always need someone to kind of like keep me in line and because I'm like what if we do this wonderful thing right. like if I'm sure if someone is in a meeting with me one more time where I'm like what if we did this thing on Pornhub like they're like where did you want to involve porn in this I'm like somewhere right they're like no who wouldn't they're magical absolutely and if you're not following Pornhub on Twitter, you're really messing up. And anyone who judges you for watching Pornhub on Twitter isn't worth being in your life. And I also think uh, checking out the Pornhub Insights blog is also incredible. <gasps> I didn't even know that existed. There is, Pornhub has an Insights blog that talks about what happens in culture and how that relates to people's porn habits. Oh, is that where they, I have seen that because also one of my favorite things ever was there was a year, I think, where like, I don't, did they also publish this annually. I know they did one year where it's like the most searched for things on Pornhub. They do something like that. Um, yes. Which is riveting. Right. Because some, a lot of it is not porn. But uh, It's like League of Legends. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> There's also, they'll be like, here are people's porn habits uh, during the Greek elections. Oh. And they'll be like, here's what happens in Italy um, during Love Island. Fascinating. And when people's porn habits plummet. And it's incredible. And it's really interesting because people often, people often forget how the reach porn has. Yeah. Um, but yeah. One of the best recommendations I ever got for like sort of our job wasn't even from someone in what we do. She's like really incredible. Her name's Holly. And like she works in entertainment and has for ages. And she said to me... And it was something that, like, maybe I sort of knew, but it hadn't fully, like, manifested in these exact words, where she was like, if you ever want to know what's next in terms of media and, like, format, go to porn. Because, like, really? webcam girls, think about it. Webcam oh, girls were God. happening for decades before Twitch, <clears throat> right? And, like, before we could all live stream ourselves right. everywhere we went. And, like, even, I mean... From beauty standards, I knew that for sure from beauty standards. That's where we got acrylics from. That's where we got basically, like, platform heels from. Uh, Brazilian waxes, uh, butt Crazy. bleaching. <laughs> like, I... that all came from strippers and porn. And, Ugh. like, um, did I say fake tans already? Yeah. So, fake tans, waxing, nails, like, hair extensions also. Um, Crazy. For a lot of different things. Porn really drives culture. Yeah, it does. Because... Like, if there's, especially when you're in a place where we have a lot of, like, repression for, like, sexual desires and tendencies, mm -hmm. um, that will manifest itself right. in that way. Absolutely. And I think um, I was actually talking about this with something the other day, is that porn uh, really does this really beautiful thing of bringing people together in the sense that a lot of people have these hidden kinks yeah, um, that they feel really alone in. Yeah. Like, there could be someone out there who was, like, really into grandma porn. Yeah. Which is, like, a totally fine kink to have if you want to have that. Love that right. for you. I'm sure old women love it, honestly. Yeah. Like, in real life. And, um, <laughs> they think they're really alone and then they discover that there is, like, this whole community of people out there. Right. Like, who can talk about grandma porn. Yeah. Um, which, did you know that, um, nursing homes have incredibly high rates of STDs? <gasps> because old not. people just fuck like crazy. Oh my gosh. I was talking about this at work today. I wonder if you're out there, you should find out if your grandma has chlamydia. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they're mean, just like... starting it? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, who has been... If you're, like, in a senior home, like, how long have you had this before? You know what I mean? Before you got there. Like, have like, you just been living untested, truly, untreated? It's just, like, I think they're all just fucking. And, like, I wonder STDs if it starts with, like, a worker first. Or, like, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I was, like, running rampant. 
That is fascinating. Right. That is really interesting. I know. Um, how would you define strategy? Strategy for me is just like, someone once tweeted that like strategy is like the informed way to be right, which mm. I think is true. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think strategy for me is just like, how do I find the most interesting, weird, coolest thing we can do that yeah. makes sense for people to understand? Yeah. Um, like, I think the best strategists are people who are nosy and love to talk shit. Mm. Like, hello. Right. Like, that's what strategy <laughs> is. Like, you just really want to, like, figure out what people are doing and then you want to talk about the shit they're doing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what strategy is. What are some skills that you feel like um, you've developed that have helped you be a better strategist, especially specifically in the agency world? Um, being a communicator. Mm-hmm. Like, I um, I manage up like crazy. Mm. Mostly um, because I often feel like the more people who are in the know of what's happening, the quicker things that could go haywire are stopped. Mm. Um, I think communication is like a huge part I also think there is something about not everyone is like this but being able to visualize what you're trying to communicate right um like I work a lot in frameworks and Venn diagrams because I think that helps visualize what we're trying to say yeah um in a very distilled and simple way for people to understand yeah and and it helps avoid a lot of what happens when you're talking and people miss a word like don't or a little bit you know what I mean right like, so that there isn't that disconnect because Absolutely. when you have those, you can have someone listening, going down a totally different path right? and then catch them very off guard. Right. And with... I think there's also like the other big part of it is just like learning to listen, like whether that is actually doing social listening or just yeah. like listening to the world around you. Like, I know that sounds so cliche, but like there are times where like I will hear shit and I'm like, I never thought about that. And then I'm like, oh wait, that's like a truth for a lot of people yeah and and it's fascinating to me just the way that like if we get like you and I can see the same tweet or the same piece of information or even just like the same sort of behavior on the street and have such different interpretations of what that means and I find that so fascinating because like to me I've always thought about um like explaining what I mean is sort of like a labor of love so Mm -hmm. that like somebody doesn't have to fill in the blanks and like we have clarity Mm mm-hmm and then I've encountered people that are like, you're talking down to me. And I'm like, oh, God, that's not at all right. I think where I'm coming from. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I totally agree. And that's why me, like, I always over-communicate in the sense. And I'll, like, preface. I'll be like, I do this thing where I'm just like, let me spit this back at you. Just to make sure that I'm tracking correctly. Yeah. Um, which half the time I am. But mostly, I just want to make sure that... Half is still only half, Corey. Like... Like, let's be clear. There's a whole other half. Half the time, I'm understanding what you're saying. (laughs) And so, it's, like, half the time, I'm really just trying to make sure that I'm, like... Especially if it's, like, a client providing feedback. I'm, like, let me spit this back at you just so we're absolutely clear. Mm -hmm. And then other time, I'm, like, I want you to hear what you just said. Yes. Um, Totally. So, you... Because I think... And this happens all the time, whether you're talking on a podcast or like at work or whatever. It's like you just kind of start saying stuff and you forgot oh, your yeah. you forget what you're trying yeah. to say. And Anyone like, who's listened to this podcast knows that about me a lot. <laughs> and you're just like, wait, what did I say? So it helps clear up confusion. And I'm also just like, let me put the the responsibility on me, just like trying to get clarity totally. versus like, sorry, I don't mean to talk down to you. But I also think when you explain things to people who are being like, you're being condescending, it's like, well. 
That's, that's also a personal like, problem. Right. That's also likely because you're not understanding what I'm saying. Yeah. My my dad used to say something to me that I loved growing up where he would be like, happiness is a choice. Interesting. Which, in a way, is there are problems with that. Yeah. At the same time, it did make me go like, oh, it is my choice how to receive this information. Absolutely. Right? And to go like, because I'm like a very stubborn person. I'm mm-hmm. a Taurus, like to the T. Mm-hmm. Um, like Taurus Gemini cusps. Right. There's also a lot of that in there okay. too. But for sure, if I wanted to do something on a Saturday and my parents decided that we were going to do something as a family, like they could have literally taken me to something I wanted to go to, but because I had something else in mind, yeah, I would be like, oh, I'm not smiling the whole time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then at some point in like my mid-teenage years, I was like, oh, I've spent so much time not smiling. Like I would catch myself smiling and then take it back just to sort of be like, I refuse to admit that I'm having a good time. Absolutely. And then I was like, oh, I'm literally only ruining this for myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the only one like, I'm having fun here. Because also like my parents are over it. I'm not a toddler. They don't care if I'm happy. I'm right. a teenager. We're never happy. I know. I was like, I'm the only one not having fun here. Okay. Right. Well, this is not effective. Totally. Yeah. And so I think it really is one of those things where it's like, you can choose to take everything personally, or you can understand that like that interaction, like even the interaction that you and I are having today is like 1% of our reality, right? Like right. we still have the other 99% of our days and lives and upbringing and right. like, what's on our minds that like, this is such a fraction. There's like all of this like uprooting, right? To like the the fruit of an engagement like right. comes from everything else. Yeah. Um, what so in terms of like sort of your um professional style and business acumen and things like that, like were your parents, did they have like professional careers? Are they in communications? Right. So um both of my parents worked on Wall Street um okay. when I was younger. Um and then um, my mom worked in finance and Wall Street, um, I think, up until, like, I was maybe, like, 20. Did they, like, impart financial wisdom to you? or were I'm they horrible like, with money. Really? Fucking horrible with <gasps> money. Corey. Um, I pay someone $100 every paycheck to help me track my finances because I'm so fucking bad at it. Um, <laughs> and well, thank you for confessing this. He will also tell me, like, he's like, you have wildly overspent. And I'm like, yes, I'm aware. Um, and he's like... How are you, like, there are times where I'm like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to pay my Amex because I just overspent. Why do you have an Amex? Uh, an interesting thing about, <laughs> I was talking to someone about this, um, the way brands position themselves is that Amex actually is not a credit card company. It is a membership company. Mm. Um, and that's really interesting to me. That is really interesting. Um, I'm like unpacking that as you say it. My right, brain's but, unraveling. But I'm a person who really values the idea of points. Yes. Uh, Same. It's horrible. Love points. And if a like, coffee shop doesn't have a punch card, I'll probably never go back. Oh, my God. A hundred percent. Like, the coffee shop that I um, go to every morning has a punch card, and they were without their punch cards for, like, three days, and I needed a new one. And I was like, okay, they finally got them. And I was like, so I'm going to need three punches for the three coffees I bought when you were without punch cards. You actually asked? Yeah. And they were like, oh, yes. And I'm like, great. Um, but, yeah, like, I'm a person who really values points, and I... Um, there's also, it's like pretty. I know. You yeah. Know, it's I, a pretty card. I have the Chase Sapphire Preferred card, which I love. Great card. It's a great card. Yeah, yeah. I love it. The points have saved me so much money over the years. Uh-huh. Especially on travel. I got like very hooked up for the Dave Chappelle residency at Radio City. Amazing. And like pre-order, t- like, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Hit me up if you want my promo code. Anyways. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> credit cards. I um, Credit cards are not finance institutions. They are membership companies. Yeah. 
It's fair. That is totally fair. Yeah. And I think um, they also, as someone who has spent many years doing like independent contractor work, when Mm -hmm. you're on a lot of um, payments that are like net 30, net 90, like you end up having to live on credit for a few weeks. And then you're like, oh, I can literally pay this all off at once. I just couldn't have done this if I was living off my bank account. Absolutely. Um, Okay. What was my next question? Oh my God. Oh, so, um, you, like, in terms of working on Axe specifically, I think about that, um, you said that they were doing a lot of, like, the fighting toxic masculinity before you got there, Yeah. Correct? So it was not an uphill battle, like, as a gay male to go, like, no. hey, this is not cool. No, no, like, not at all. Like, that team was actually super diverse. Awesome. Um, that team uh, at Edelman was super diverse. The clients were great and, like, understood what we were trying to do. Mm-hmm. And we rarely received pushback. I can't really... Like, nothing comes to mind in the sense where they were like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Like, even the go-off-jail tweet, like, we didn't... I didn't get client approval on that. Um, But, like, they loved it. Awesome. You know? Yeah. And, and I think they've been trying to do that for years. And, like, it just, like, the way culture is now, it's like a fucking viral tweet will do more for you than, like, 12 totally. articles about it. Absolutely. Um, or an event about it, or, like, a TV spot. Yeah. You know? Which is fascinating to me that people still continue to put their investment towards those, like, more traditional mm-hmm. models when it has been proven time and time again that, like... Not valuable. And it's wild to me because I used to manage an event production company, mm-hmm. and corporate clients especially would just would spend way too much money on things that we were like, well, we can do it for way cheaper, but if you're going to give us three times the amount, sure, we can do it for that amount also. Right. However, then we'll like split hairs when it comes to giving a community manager a raise, which is fascinating to me. That I'm like, oh, so you can put in like half a million dollars into a Coachella activation that mm-hmm. will probably not convert anyone because everyone's on Molly. Right. But... Uh, you won't pay somebody like 85 a year to be good at their job. Right. Yeah, I think um, there's something really... People undervalue the work that people on social do. Yeah. And that is true. Like, I think there was that really good cut article a while ago about, like, um, the pink ghetto, I think it's called, about, like, how a lot of social media work is done by women. Oh, yeah. This is a... And which is still true. A lot... I mean, even strategy, I think, is a lot of strategy work is done by women and I've only ever reported to women and I think um, Interesting. strategy led by women uh, is a lot stronger than men. Mm-hmm. I think women um, are more curious yeah. and want to learn more um, than men. It's fascinating that you say that because literally the best strategists I've worked with that are men have predominantly female influences in their life. Yeah. So, like, the the two male strategists that come to mind that I've worked with and mm-hmm. loved working with, which, shout out to Nolan and Gary. They're Hi, Nolan amazing. and Gary. Uh, and, in fact, you actually, like, you and Nolan are very similar in a lot of ways, which oh is God, fascinating. You, you two should definitely meet someday. Um, but they definitely are, like, feminists in their own, like, not even the way that they would ever say that. Right. But, like, those two specifically have, like, advocated, those two and Megan, actually, like, of the, the are probably the three best strategists I've ever worked with. Right. And, like, have also advocated for me in my career more than anybody else, um, which is so flattering because also I just respect all of them so much right. that I'm like, oh, you're so smart and you've got my back? Like, right. really? I think it really gets down to, like, like I was raised by a single mom from, like, 12 to now. And, mm-hmm. like, my mom is a huge part of my life. Um, 
and the things that she teaches me and how I bring that to work and the women I interact with at work every day like have taught me to be a better person and a better strategist because I am more curious I'm mm-hmm. more compassionate and I think also like I just I unpack things differently whereas I think like and this happens whenever I talk to men um and as a man like I find myself doing this where it's like, I really believe what I'm saying is true. Mm-hmm. Um, well, who doesn't also? Right. Um, but I also, like, I think I've had much better discourse and dialogue with women about strategy yeah. than I ever have with men. Totally. Um, because men love to be combative. And I think men are really, women are raised to always assume that we are wrong. Absolutely. And so we're a lot more comfortable in a lot of ways going like, I could be wrong or whatever. And men are raised, interestingly enough, that like admitting, and even if this isn't overtly stated, um, that like admitting that you're wrong is a sign of weakness and to like double down, which is fascinating to me because I think even if you were to speak to like men who behave that way about that behavior that they would still say and verbalize that like admitting you're wrong is a sign of strength mm-hmm. yet when they get in that like fight or flight mode they're not going to admit they're wrong they're not going to admit they're wrong no 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 this um i've worked with many men um at agencies who like i have felt wildly vindicated uh when they were proven wrong and the look on their face uh, when they realize this is enough mm-hmm. for me makes you want to pull the right camera like, I was just like, I, this is better than sex. Right. Like, I love yeah. this. I don't need to come. I love this for me. <laughs> um, and then, you know, but they'll, they'll never admit that they're wrong. Yeah. Whereas, like, I think you bring up an interest, you brought up an interesting point was that, like, men with predominantly female influences, I will often, if I am unsure about things, be like, I could be wrong here. Yeah. Um, and... While I am a Virgo with a Scorpio rising, like, I am organized, but I'm also fucking crazy. Like, I don't like to admit I'm wrong, but, mm-hmm. like, in a work setting, I will often be like, oh, yeah, my bad. Yeah, or especially, like, like, I mean, I, uh, we don't know each other that well. I think we're both semi-prideful people and a little yeah. bit, like, aware, well, we're both very aware of social and emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. I know it makes me look bad if I don't calmly admit that I'm wrong. Right. Why would I lose my mind and make a fool of myself when I know that, in fact, like, I for sure respect people more when they go, like, oh, my gosh, I was wrong. And any time I see someone double down, I'm literally all I can think about is, like, a toddler having a tantrum. Yeah. Like, Like you're a child. I'm just, like, let this keep happening because, you know what, I think (laughs) it's great and I'm going to talk about it. And I'll just let them keep going. I won't yeah, interrupt. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, yeah. no, I just want to watch you unravel. This um, is great. This had happened on like a thing um, where the person had swore up and down that they were right. And I was like, maybe you are right. Like, and maybe I'm wrong. And then it got to the end of it, of a whole day of like swirling around on something. Um, and they realized they were wrong and they like did not apologize for the whole workday that we lost. Um, but I didn't need that apology because the way he felt in that moment was enough for me. Yeah. Um, I would love if he apologized, but, like, to just watch this man, just, like, his face, I was like, ugh, yes, <laughs> that's all I needed, thank you. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, let me think about my other questions yeah. for you. Um, what kind of skills do you want to, like, continue to develop? Yeah, um, this is actually something I just had a conversation with my manager about, is I think I'm really good at the idea of social media culture, mm-hmm. um, and communications, um, and what that looks like is from the strategic framework. 
Um, but I do need to get better at like the traditional sense of strategy. Right. Uh, which is like really finding that insight intention and like blowing that out. Like yeah. the four C's, right? Like consumer, cultural, um, what is it like? Uh, I don't remember. I'll be honest with you. Uh, that's fine. I wish I had it. Right. You. Company. Um, and then something else. I hope my boss, if she's listening, uh, we'll, the blank yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it uh, in my, our one-on-ones. <laughs> um, but it, like something like that, like the real traditional sense of it, yeah. because um, I think a strategist that can be an expert in one thing is great, um, but I would love to be an expert in one thing and be proficient in everything else. Yeah, agreed. Have you listened to any of the conversations with Gia Tolentino about her new book? No. I think it's called Trick Mirror. Okay. I think you'd really enjoy it because she does such a great job of um, sort of like just describing a lot of how we feel as millennials, which I find helps me describe culture better. Okay. I think that specifically, um, shout out to my friend Jasper, who's amazing. Um, He recommended to me the Cassandra Daily like email newsletter and podcast, Mm -hmm. which has been really, really helpful. Jasper works at Revolt and like his boss, Lindsay, was uh, on it. The episode I just finished listening to, which was so good. Fun. Um, And then Taylor Lorenz does a really good job. I think you follow her on Twitter. Uh, Um, Which Taylor? There's like two Taylor. So there, yeah. So there's Taylor Lorenz with Nosy. Right. Who works at Later. Yeah. And then Taylor Lorenz who now works at Style, New York Times Styles. Yes, exactly. And if you're listening, definitely look them both up because Taylor Lorenz has a really great blog on Later that has like very specific social media. Yeah. Um, like tactical advice, which I think for any small business owner or like someone getting off, like starting off in social or trying to like do social planning is perfect. Right. And then Taylor Lorenz does like really interesting insights around culture. Yes. And I think incredibly she, good at it. Yes. Brilliant. So good. The and only one who nails that beat. Her and then Gia Tolentino writes similar things for the New Yorker. So okay. like a year or so ago, she re- wrote a really great article on like um, Jewel, mm. which was amazing to like that she got to write about Jewel like for the New Yorker. I love it. Incredible. And like I think she was able to even use the phrase, she used some phrase around eating ass, which I was like, I can't believe you got that in the New Yorker. Uh, You're a hero. The best. Um, but then yeah, Taylor Lorenz does a really great job. And I think that either she retweeted or wrote the article, which I find fascinating, like men on Tinder who don't write anything in their bio. Um, huh. and then she's written a lot about I think like TikTok and just so many other things that you and I both follow. TikTok is the greatest thing in the world. I cannot wait for teens to rule the world. I know. Please um, get older quicker. Um, yes, please. You. So, uh, last question. Yeah. Is there, like, what would you want to hear a future episode of the Behind the Scenes podcast about? Um, hmm. Ooh, good one. Oh, thank you. Um, I think it's literally my job. <laughs> I would love to understand um, how social media for politicians work. Interesting. In what way? Um, like, I... Just, like, I, I think there's something really interesting about getting people to join grassroots movements yeah. and sign petitions and go out and vote um, and how social media helps stir those conversations and, like, what the strategy and planning is behind that. Right. And, you know, now that you're saying that, I think one thing that's fascinating about that is I would love to talk to somebody who's done that but has, like, found a way to do it that's not just, like, fear-mongering. Mm-hmm. Because so much, which is unfortunate that, like, the, the way that we get riled up about politics is, like, the fear-mongering right, stuff, like, right? Right, like, you should be very scared about what could happen right. to vote for this person. When the reality of it should be, like, hey, here's what's happening, here's what could happen, here's right. what's happened, like, 
in other places where this has rolled out. Right. Like, that should be the conversation, mm-hmm. but to have it be... Because a lot of times it's also, like, fear-mongering without a clear action we can take on a daily basis. Like, I think a lot about climate change that we're, like, fear-mongering and, like, pointing it at sort of these moments in time, like the pipeline and, like, all these other things when it's also, like, hey, like, there's daily choices we can make and all these... It's such a... um, Fortunately, everything we do is so sort of, like, tied to everything else that we do. Right. That, like, it's impossible to just pull these apart and go, like, oh, this is the one thing causing this major social ill. Right. Um, But, yeah, that would be very, very fascinating. Is there someone specifically, like, a politician or maybe a movement that you've seen do a really quality job? Um... Or do you want the obscure, like, yeah, animal like, rights? Yeah, I, like, I would love to talk to Amy Brown, um, because she now does it. She now does social for... Wait, where is she at now? Um, I can't remember, but she she does social and politics now. Um, because I know I know that um, somebody we know, I think her name is Kate, was at Nation Swell, and then Amber yes. did the Hillary. Hillary Clinton. Yeah, yeah, which I have been just dying to have Amber on the podcast. Oh, please. Amber would be great. I know. Um, She's amazing. But Amy um, now does it for a political campaign, and I can't remember which one it is because there's 80 people in the race. Yeah. Amber and Amy are both really incredible. Incredible people. Um, Um, I believe they both have, like, really helped figure out what social media looks like as, like, a company truth. They have, like, definitely quietly shaped a lot of culture on the internet. Yeah. yeah, they're great. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for being on, Corey. This thank was so much fun. Me. And I really appreciate you taking time after a long um, business day, like work day. Especially. Oh my God, my pleasure. Truly the best. Thank you for listening to another episode of Hashtag BTS Podcast. Please be sure to find BTS Podcast at, at BTS Podcast across social media platforms. And of course, find Corey, especially on Twitter. He's great, he's funny. And I have a lot of respect for him. You can find him at Corey Kinberg, spelled Kinberg, on Twitter. Also linked to in the description of this episode. If you follow me, I'm sure you've seen me retweet him because I do it at least once a week. And I just appreciate his time so much. He's so great and I am excited to see what he does at RGA. Music on this podcast is by Benjamin Theram. Please be sure to use my promo codes for Soothe and Hotel Tonight. You can use code LZLRZ to save at checkout for your first booking with Soothe. Soothe provides in-home massages. I'm a huge fan. I have their monthly subscription, which I need to use because I have a ton of points saved up towards a massage that I have not gotten yet. Also, use LCOOK61 to save on your first checkout at a hotel tonight. If you go ahead and sign up for Hotel Tonight right now and put in LCOOK61, you can go ahead and wait until you're actually ready to book a hotel. The promo code will still be applied. You'll save money, I'll save money. And that is really, really helpful when I'm making this podcast because when I travel, it is awesome to be able to stay somewhere where I also have room to record and it's relaxing. I love staying with my friends when I travel and it's great. And I mostly do that to save money, but on occasion, it just really helps to have some personal space and take a bath and record in a room instead of burdening my friends and their roommates with me recording in their rooms. Thanks for listening. Music on this podcast is by Benjamin Batherum. Please do check out the other episodes of this podcast that are part of the strategy series. That includes Jessica Couch, Genevieve Asensio, and Megan Murray. There will be more to come. This is part four. I'd love to know who else you'd like to hear from.